We want to keep complaining. We want to keep pointing fingers. We want to blame, but we don't want to take the next steps of great. Society may not be our fault, but it is our responsibility. No one's looking at the responsibility piece. Hey, freedom lovers, Kurt Mercadante here. Welcome to another episode of the Freedom Media Network. Every Monday, we bring you an incredible interview with someone whose life is about freedom, who are helping other people live lives of joy, fulfillment, and freedom. Every Friday is our Freedom Friday episode, and you're probably sick of me saying this, but at some point, you are going to take action. Take out your smartphone now. It costs you nothing. Open your message app. Text the word FREEMAN, F-R-E-E-M-A-N, to 55678. You'll get a link from me in return where you could take our free Freedom Lifestyle audio course. It costs you nothing. You probably got your phone out anyways. You're texting, you're checking social media, all that. Put it to use to you and get that free course. Now, we got some other value to throw your way today. We have a wonderful guest now, on a personal level, I love Javon. He helped bring my book to fruition. He's the CEO of Scribe Media. I share his story, gosh, a, 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 just a small part of his story in my book. He's the CEO of Scribe Media. His latest book is Modern Leader, and he's a CEO, speaker, author, but his life didn't begin as a success story. He was born, and by the way, I think this line is like the first line of your first book. He was born the son of a black pimp father and a white single mother on welfare. Poverty, abuse, eviction, and discrimination were a daily part of his life. Today, as I mentioned, the CEO of Scribe Media, a multi-million dollar publishing company that helps entrepreneurs, executives, and experts write, publish, and market their books. Some quick highlights. He's named the number one Austin, Texas CEO, Scribe Media, number one company culture, as named by Entrepreneur Magazine. His first book was I Got There, How a Mixed-Race Kid Overcame Racism, Poverty, and Abuse to Arrive at the American Dream. Javon, thanks so much for joining us today. My man, Kurt's been a while, man. Yeah, you know, the, the last time we spoke, you, <laughs> you were in your home closet. I don't know if you remember that. You were on the I way do. or something to the airport or something. It was the only quiet place in your house. Yeah, you know, it went four, four kids, man, eight, seven, five, and three. And when they know I'm at home, man, I can go into the office and doesn't matter. They're just going to pound on the door until, you know, I, I let them in. So I, I, I literally had to be behind three doors. Let me see. There was, there was the, the bedroom door, the bathroom door, and the closet door. <laughs> That's funny. Well, and I remember because I, I had read your book. I knew you through LinkedIn, but also Don Wetrick, who's yeah. been on this show a number of times. And I don't know why I didn't pay as much attention. I was more focused on you and less attention to Scribe. And in the course of the podcast, I'm like, wait a second, I have this book. And then you hooked me up and we went through it. And and as, I, as I've mentioned to you since, and you have written the book, uh, I think the Scribe Method about yeah. That, that process, and you write about it a little bit in this book, that process that you helped uh, add on to and change and, and, and massage, um, it, was, it was the friendliest assembly line. Let me put it that way. You made it so easy to the point where a month before my book launch, I forgot I was coming out with a book. That's how seamless it was. <laughs> <laughs> Man, the, the, the goal is, you know, how do we assist authors in, in creating their, their book? You know, traditional, you know, has, has made it very, 
um, exclusionary, if you will. You have to be accepted and, and selected to, to be able to do your book. And, and everyone's got a story. So, you know, everyone should have the opportunity to, to share their story, tell their story. And, and even if they don't want to share and they just want to put in a book for themselves. Okay, great. But, but everybody deserves to be able to put their story on paper. Another thing, last time we spoke, your name, well, it was, but you weren't going by Javon. You were going by JT, which is a big portion of your new book. Yeah. So can you explain why the change back to your original name, Javon, for JT, and, and, and how did that come about? So man, you know, Kurt, like I said, man, I'm, I I'll be 51 this month. So we're we're gonna take a journey back to the early 90s when I was in my my early 20s, and I was the file clerk mailboy at, at an insurance company. I pushed around my cart, was file clerk, and, and dropped off mail. And, and I wanted more. I, I, I aspired to to do more. I wanted to be more. And so, you know, this is back in the day. This isn't, you know, upload your resume and, and, and you know, do it that way. No, you had to knock on doors, make cold calls and, and follow up. You actually had to do work to get work. And, and so um, I could not get on people's calendars. I, I couldn't get a call back. I, I couldn't get an invite. So one day, a, a nice gentleman, white guy, he, he picks up the phone. And he says to me, he led with, hey, how did you get a black name, first name, and an Irish last name? <laughs> you know, Javon, black name, uh, and then McCormick, Irish last name. Well, well, here's what's funny, Kurt, is so my mom got our last name when she was in the orphanage. We have no clue where, why, how we had this last name. We, she has no uh, knowledge of her background, how she got this last name. So when he said to me, how did you get an Irish last name? That was the first time I ever knew my last name was Irish. So I was locked in on, yes, Irish. I didn't even know that. And so I was celebrating the, the Irish last name. But then when I hung up, it hit me. I was like, oh, okay. It's because my first name, I can't get a call back. Mm. So, so my full name is Javon Thomas McCormick. So I said, okay, I'm going to go by JT. And I edited myself. And Kurt, damn. The following week, callbacks, follow-ups, appointments, invites. And Kurt, I can't tell you how many times I showed up to an interview and the people would say, JT McCormick? And I was like, yes, it, well, you're not what we expected. And I, well, what did you expect? And so, and, and from there, man, um, I was JT McCormick uh, all the way up until the, the George Floyd murder. And why I decided to reclaim my, my name, Javon, is after the George Floyd murder, Kurt, man, there was so much bullshit, if I can say that, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, virtue signaling, you know, blackout Tuesday on social media. What the hell does that do to, to bring any change or, or progress in anything? And then, Kurt, we were arguing over a syrup bottle, a damn syrup bottle. Like, again, what does that do? But what jumped out to me, I read an article that said at the time there were only three Fortune 500, there were only three black Fortune 500 CEOs. I was like, interesting. So I looked them up and I came across their names. Roger Ferguson, Marvin Ellison, Kenneth Frazier, and as a, as a bonus, the wealthiest black man in America is named Robert Smith. 
So, so for me, I immediately laughed. I'm like, oh, those are four very ethnic free names, if you will. <laughs> and, and so I looked at it and I said to myself, okay, I am not a Fortune 500 CEO. But to your point in the beginning, I'm, I'm incredibly honored, humbled, and, and proud. You know, we, we've been named the number one company culture in, in America. Um, you know, we've um, been named the best place to work in, in Austin. And, and as you said, I was named the, the number one CEO in, in Austin. Oh, Kurt, I got to share this with you, Matt. Uh, a month ago, I was named uh, Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year. Nice. And, and so, you know, I, I looked at all that and I said to myself, okay, I'm going to reclaim my name and, and I'm going to go by Javon. But, but I didn't do it for me. I built my whole career as JT McCormick. I, I actually did it for every kid out there uh, named Ravante, Laquanda, Jesus, Juan, Rosalia, um, because those are very ethnic names that when they show up on resumes, you, you don't always get the same look as far as an invite to, to be interviewed. And, and I did it with a goal that, you know, maybe one day when you make it into the business world, you can work next to a Javon and not just a JT. And so that's, that's, that's how Javon came back around. Do you, um, and, and in your book, you write about, you kind of got a little bit uh, annoyed at someone who, who uh, you were at a book reading in Austin and someone asked you about what, I can't remember the exact question, but it was, it was basically, could this work as someone who doesn't have your skills or talent or something like that. But, but with that, so you worked hard, you came through and you built your career on JT. Now you change it to Javon. Do you regret having been JT for all those years? And how do you think things would be different if you hadn't? So, yeah, I, I've been asked that question many a time. Uh, you know, would you do it again? Could, you know, do, do you... One, to, to, I'll answer the question. There's different answers to it. Yes, I would do it again. Give, given the time period of which we were in, yes, I, I hands down, I, I would do it again. Was it bittersweet? Hell yeah, it was bittersweet. You know, it was sweet because I figured out how to get in. Oh, okay. If I do this, I can get in. Bitter because I had to edit myself to do it. Yeah. So it was, it was bittersweet. Now, fast forward to where we are today. Again, the, the whole reason why I reclaim my name is what I realized is I was part of the problem. You know, I achieved success having edited myself. Well, I don't want people to have to repeat what, what I did to, to find success. So what I realized, if, if you're part of the problem, if you're not changing, you're choosing. And, and that goes for all of us at everything in life. Whatever you're not changing, you're choosing. So, you know, if, if you're 30 pounds overweight and you're not changing to do anything about it, you're choosing to be 30 pounds overweight. And, and so um, I made the choice to reclaim my name so it would, others would not have to do what I did back, back then. You know, you, you hear this a lot in, you can go with the civil rights movement. Yeah, I mean, you can go all the way back to the the, the first settlers that, that came over in, into the country. You know, so many people did things that for the next generation, so they wouldn't have to do. Mm -hmm. And so that that's really where that that uh, inspiration came for me was okay. I, I, don't be a part of the problem. Make make actual change. It's it's it it's. Uh... 
you know, my dad would tell me stories growing up. You know, his dad came off the boat, Ellis Island, and kept his name. But he would he would go through. It's almost like that Adam Sandler song where he goes through who's Jewish, and you don't <laughs> know it because they changed their name. My dad would go through this guy, ashamed to be an Italian. He changed his name, Tony Bennett. Do you know his real name is this and this? And you know, like you said, history's been been full of people changing and informing and they probably wouldn't i doubt tony bennett would ever regret changing his name to tony bennett but no i I mean here's something that's funny a lot of people don't know this it's very surprising that many people don't know this barack obama he used to go by barry for the exact same reason as me he didn't want the uh, barack he changed so he would go by barry and uh, many people don't know that, but yeah, he he edited himself as, as well. But yeah, you go back to the 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 Jewish people that that arrived here, and they changed their name because they didn't want people to know. And you know, we can look at our country that that way. And and but uh, again, we're 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 whatever we're not changing, we're choosing. In. Uh... I was around and I was still doing some politics at the time when, when uh, Obama was running for Senate and then whatever. And South side of Chicago had a lot of green signs with Obama with an apostrophe after the O to make it look like he was Irish. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Because you know, some of those people on the South side, there was no way in hell that they were voting and, and um, which which goes to the point of what we're talking about, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, your book is certainly grounded in your experience, uh, mixed race, right? And, and, but I want everyone to know that your book isn't just about race because it could apply. And you say this, this isn't just about race. It's not just about LBGDQ. You know, it's not about anything. It's about anyone and diversity. So the common theme in your book is about the playbook, Mm -hmm. the old playbook of hiring, of, of, of not just hiring, but how we provide opportunity to people. Um, So can you, can you explain what that old playbook looks like? Yeah. So, so think, think about this, Kurt. Uh, right now, when I say the uh, the old playbook, it's it was it was it's very exclusionary. You know, you you had to meet a certain set of credentials. You had to be able to speak the language. You had to, you know, uh, think of it this way: the old playbook is is the reason why I edited my name in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, so there are certain things that are just factual that that. Many people don't want to hear, but they're just facts. If if you look at the Fortune 500 uh, companies in America, we started tracking the Fortune 500, which are the 500 largest companies in America. We started tracking those in 1955. You did not have a black CEO show up on the list until 1987. So 30 plus years before you had a minority on the Fortune 500 list. And, and what I've said to people is, yes, it, it, do we have racism in this country? Yes. And, and, and let me uh, follow that with, we always will. You always will have racism. It's not going away. You have black people in Africa that don't like other black people because some are lighter, some are darker. And so you're always going to have racism. Now, what, what I realized is with this exclusionary playbook is you had to be able to fit 
the criteria to to get in and have their the credentials did you go to the the right schools do you have the degree do you uh, understand what it's like to to interview and and so in many ways this this book was written to exclude a group of people not just minorities a, a group of people Th- think of this a very easy one if if you and I see a career description on Indeed, and at the bottom it says, you know, must have a four-year degree. Okay, right off the bat, I'm excluded. I, I don't have a degree. I got a GED. I, ca- I can't apply. So, so, but then we have to ask ourselves as a people, let's look at all the career descriptions and job descriptions. Do Does every role require a four-year degree? If I'm hiring for a an assistant project manager, what the hell does a liberal arts degree do to, to assist you with, with the role? I still have to teach, coach, and mentor you into the role. And in fact, if, if I had a person straight out of college who had a liberal arts degree, and I had a person over here that's been in the fast food industry consistently at the same company for four years, I want that person. Because they understand, you know, oh, oh, I've seen the peak hours of fast food at the restaurant. Uh, There's a lot of turnover. And this person has managed to be in fast food at the same place for four years. That's way more impressive to me than someone who's out of college with a liberal arts degree. But but we have created this this playbook that says, because you have a degree, guess what? You're going to get the interview. And, And that's just so broken. Um, so yeah, you, you, you've got so many little aspects like that to where imagine the candidate pool you open up if you start taking off the requirement of, of having a college degree. That that changes the game for a lot of people. And even within, you know, I grew up in Illinois, and and it was, you know, the top Chicago law firms can they looked at you had to be Ivy League. You know, I went to the University of Iowa, so even that old playbook. Yep. You know, and, and, and like you said, whether it's because you're of Mexican descent, you live in Phoenix or you're mixed race from Dayton yep. or you're Korean from Los Angeles or you're black from Atlanta or you're white from Appalachia, you know, it, yep. it we're letting our greatest, you know, it's funny. And I'm just thinking about this now, but when, when you talk about, we talk about sports, Right, and we think about. I, I th- there's always this debate in soccer. We have such a big country, but these small European countries are so great because they put everything into it. Well, it's because everyone there is welcome into playing soccer. I mean, with you know, for for the most part, and and some of the, some of those countries aren't the most diverse countries, right? Right, right. And here we just focus on this, and so they're like, imagine if LeBron was playing goalie and all this. And what you're talking about is just opening this up and the opportunities up versus something, some of the things, I was going to say one thing, but a number of things that you hit out with, which is there's the old playbook. And then on top of that, you add certain things uh, and, and you write about affirmative action. You write about certain things that I'm paraphrasing, but it's almost like you took the old playbook, then you popped a virtue signal piece on top of it, <laughs> which now it's just a different version of the old playbook. Am I, am I kind of explaining that correctly? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it's it. it. You know, it's um, think about this right now. 
we, you know, we, we've got this big initiative, you know, DEI, DEI. Well, 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 first of all, okay, stop turning it into an acronym. The only reason we're doing that is because it's, um, it, it makes it easier on us to have that conversation. Hey, Kurt, what are your DEI initiatives? But if I say, hey, Kurt, what are, your, your, what, what, uh, what are you doing right now to, to work towards diversity in your organization? Ooh, that, that's, that's a little tough. That, that makes it a little, little more raw of a conversation. And, and I get this right now in, in interviews. Someone will come in and they want to look really sophisticated and professional. And, and they'll say to me, um, what, what are your DEI initiatives during the interview? I'll say, interesting. First of all, define DEI. And, and, and they'll say, well, diversity, equity, inclusion. I said, okay, well, then just say that. I said, okay, so do you want to start with diversity? They're like, yes. I go say, then what part are you talking about? They're like, what, what do you mean? I said, well, you said diversity. What part? What, what do you tell, tell me what you're talking about? And then I hit them with this, and you, you should just see the blank look that comes over people's face. I said, look, I can be in a room with 10 white guys over the age of 40 and have diversity. Some are married, some aren't, some have kids, some, some are Catholic, some are, are Methodist, uh, some went to college, some didn't. I got diversity. I go, we're, we're, we, we've turned into a culture of like, we, we love to weaponize a word, you know, so, so diversity. And, and the, the fact of the matter is when you say the word, now we got to have a conversation. Are we talking gay? Are we talking transgender? Are we talking Mexican? Are we talking Jewish? You know, when's, when's the last time someone said the word diversity and they were speaking about a Jewish person? That, that's never happened. So, it, 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 again, when we start going down these, these paths of, of weaponizing words, and it, it just – it's some of the just most disgusting virtue signaling that you'll see. And even the chief diversity officers, I got love for all of them. We, I did a LinkedIn post on this, but I find it very interesting that the great majority of your, your chief diversity officers are minorities and they are black women. And it's what's sad is so many companies have done nothing more than, okay, let's check the box. Great. We have given a C-suite to a, a black minority woman. We're good. Hey, you sit down there at the end of the table. Don't speak unless spoken to. We, we, we're done with that one. Let's move on. And, and that's sad because, you know, companies have, have approached diversity as an initiative. Kurt, software implementation is an initiative you know there's a start and there's a finish hey we we implemented the system diversity just because you hired a chief diversity officer hired 13 minorities and started using pronouns in your email signature you didn't win the game isn't over like there's no there's no finish line for diversity and and so the fact of the matter is when we say diversity what are we talking about people that's it but we've weaponized the shit out of that word. When it comes to weaponization of words, you know, public discourse is, has become tough enough, right? It's become difficult enough. And, and you write, you, you've talked about George Floyd and, and we, we get in these debates and arguments and, and sometimes it's like, why, why do you need to get in the debate and argument? I'm, I'm talking about not as a, not as a society, but it's like an individual, right? People want to, and you have this, this situation where, let's say you and I could have a discussion about George Floyd, or even 
meat versus vegan or right whatever right right and it's like everyone is right on the facts or maybe someone is right on the facts and the other person is 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 operating from a place of feeling but let's say everyone is right on specific facts about what's going on they're still not moving the discussion forward totally right so like on george floyd it could be like well, overall, this has happened time and again, and this and yeah. that. Oh, but I have a stat here over the amount of da da da. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, George Floyd's arrest record, but you're not actually right. You're not bringing it. So that's in the public discourse. Workplaces have become, and I've had the. I haven't worked in a workplace <laughs> for, <laughs> for many years, but how? How do you? I guess first, how do you, you know, Bob Berg talks about empathy. You and I can have a discussion. I understand that you have a different opinion, but I, I don't have to convince and convert you. You don't have to convince and convert me. How do you deal with that in discourse in, in a workplace? Because that's, I can get in a fight at, at, at Thanksgiving dinner and I don't anymore, but people that try to fight with me, but that's far different than a workplace where everyone has to come together day after day after day and work together. You know, uh, uh, much of it for me, Kurt, is is really setting expectations of what the culture is up front. So for me, you know, we've created what what we call a culture of welcome, and what that is is you when. And let me back up again. The reason why we created this culture of welcome, uh, much of it came directly from me because as a kid, I was being mixed race in the 70s. Man, Kurt, you know as well as I do, that wasn't a good look. And, you know, black people didn't like me because I was half white. White people didn't like me because I was half black. And, and, and some people either don't know or forget. It wasn't until 1967 that I was even legally allowed to be born in this country be, because, you know, mixed race was, was illegal. Right. And, and so I spent so much of my childhood trying to fit in, trying to be accepted, uh, wanting to belong. And so as I got older, I realized, damn, with acceptance, damn, with your belonging, I, I damn sure don't want to be tolerated. And, and so I realized, okay, no, we need to create a culture of welcome. And, and what that is, I, I truly, it does not matter who you voted for. It doesn't matter how you identify your sexual preference. Um, if you believe in God, if you don't believe in God, can you perform in your role, drive results, and will you uphold the company values? If so, welcome. Now, we established that up front so people know what we stand for and and what's key to that is if there's going to be some disrespect because maybe somebody's transgender maybe somebody's gay somebody voted for trump somebody voted for biden okay then no if we cannot welcome all diverse thoughts of people then don't work here and, and we set that expectation early and often. So, so again, I don't want to belong. You've even seen this at more virtue signaling shit, Kurt. Um, now it's D, E, I, and B. The B stands for belonging. And, and for me, it stands for bullshit. But it's uh, because belonging implies someone doesn't. I don't want to belong. I want to be welcome because it, I want to be welcome to apply. And should I receive the opportunity to be hired, I want to continue to be welcomed while I'm there. So it, it, it's a culture of, of welcome versus acceptance, tolerance, belonging. 
and, and that really just goes for, for me, Kurt, on, on how you do this in, in the workplace. Because, yeah, you're going to have people that don't agree, don't see eye to eye. Uh, and, and, but, but here's the thing. It's okay. People are shocked by this. I'll, I'll give you this one, Kurt. So obviously I'm the CEO. Well, our chief experience officer, she's gay and she doesn't believe in God. Well, we all know my first pillar in life is God. My kids go to private Christian school. So what's interesting is when I say to people, yeah, if God forbid something happened to her and she became paralyzed, I'd be the first one there giving her a bath, brushing her teeth, wiping her ass, reading her a book, albeit it'd be really slow, but I'd still be, be there doing it. And people are shocked. They're like, how? But your values don't know. She is a human. She is a person. And, and, and we don't have to agree on the same things in life that I value this human, this person. And, and that's really for us what, what a culture of welcome is. It's the you and you talk about acceptance, tolerance, or tolerance, acceptance. You know, um, and then welcoming. And I've I've often noticed over the past several years that people have skipped over the acceptance and tolerance and welcoming, and they've they've either gone right to or confused it with compliance. Yeah, <laughs> meaning. And, and this could go this could go all ways. A lot of times when it goes one way, just given the, the, the how culture is going right now, it's more silent, right? So it's it's hey, yeah, we're gonna hire more black people, mm-hmm. and they'll wink, but there, there's there's you know, uh, or or um, you know, we're only gonna hire people who believe in God, but we're, we're not really gonna officially do that. But on the other side, you have to agree with me. I mean, I've had people um, beg me to know how I voted. Yeah. And I wouldn't tell him or or we we're going to discuss politics why well, I don't want to. My my daughter had a situation in 2020 where she had some friends that were so political. My daughter was uh, at the time she was 14. She just wanted to have fun. She didn't like being locked up with a mask. She just wanted to get on the phone and like watch a movie, play a game and no, we have to discuss this important political issue and da 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 and my daughter's like I don't I really don't feel you're letting down. So it almost went to this compliance of and, and if she had, by the way, if she had communicated how maybe how she felt, then it would take to another level. No, you don't agree with us. And so right. you need to agree. And so do you, do you ever, I guess, maybe maybe you nip that in the bud in your playbook from the very start. And it's, is it the setting of expectations? Yeah, it's, you know, I, I've always said this. Set expectations early and often or expectations will be set for you. And, and that that goes with our authors, our business model, uh, but but also goes with with our culture and, and society also. You know, and because here's the other other piece. You, you brought up a good point, Kurt. We don't want to have open and honest conversations. We want you to side with whatever we believe at the time, because you, you nailed it. We are so caught up in blaming giving the reasons, here's why it is, racism, systems broken. Okay, so we have spent two years now, and and I agree, all these things that we've pointed out, beautiful, great. So society may not be our fault, but it is our responsibility. Mm. So how much longer are we going to sit here and just finger point, call out all the shit that's wrong, 
Who's to blame? When do we take accountability and responsibility to actually implement and make change? And, and But we don't want to have open conversations. To, to your point, people are shocked and, and they, they automatically assume when, when I give these, these next two examples, they automatically assume who I, who I voted for. And I said, okay, it's, we have heard many a time, Trump's a racist, Trump's a racist. All right, fair enough. If you think some of the things that he has said are, are racist comments, okay, I could, I could see where you would get that from. I'm, I'm open-minded enough to see that. But I found it very interesting, especially for me, as, as a person being mixed race who struggled mightily to be accepted, uh, to, to belong, no one put the same emphasis on Biden being a racist when he said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. That was some, for me, that was some of the most racist shit I had ever heard because now I got this old white guy telling me what race I am or what race I'm not based on how I vote. And, and I just found it amazing how we just kind of glossed over that one and, and you know, that one kind of went away. And, and, and then, you know, we don't want to, to have conversations uh, of openness. And so that, that was one where people automatically assume, oh, he voted for Trump. Here's the other one. We, as a society blasted the hell out of Trump for how he treated the border, building a wall, the things he said about uh, immigrants coming into that. I mean, we lit Trump's ass up for, for his approach. Here's what I find interesting. And, and again, some could say rightfully so. Here's what I find interesting. Biden ran his campaign on two things, the virus and immigration, the border. Biden hasn't been to the border since 2008, and no one says anything. <laughs> and, and I'm blown away by how we won't have holistic, factual conversations. We just want to gloss over what doesn't fit our narrative at the time. And, and Kurt, you got to give me this last one. Here, here's something that really, really just, it, it pissed me off. It, it pissed me off. It hurt me. It, it, it angered me. The week of the trial of the police officer uh, that, that, that murdered George Floyd, that week, there was a shooting uh, in Minneapolis of the uh, white lady officer. She thought she pulled out her taser, but she pulled out a gun and she shot and killed that kid. Mm -hmm. here's, here's, what, here's how it was told to us. White cop kills black kid in Minneapolis, the week of the George Floyd trial uh, of that cop. White cop kills black kid. That over and over, white cop kills black kid. So I'm watching, I'm like, oh man, Minneapolis, they're just, <laughs> shit's just going on up there. So I'm watching the press conference, and then I see the kid's mom and dad on TV. The mom was white, the dad was black. No one said white officer kills mixed race kid, they said white officer kills black kid. But here's what pissed me off and really hurt the most. We had just spent two years shoving down our throat as a society to let you know that Kamala Harris was mixed race. <laughs> right. But, but this kid 
Dante Wright was his name, couldn't get the same respect to be called mixed race. But, but we flew planes from the skies to, to, to tell you that but Kamala Harris was mixed race. But this kid was being presented, white cop kills black kid. So, so to your point again, Kurt, um, we want to keep complaining. We want to keep pointing fingers. We want to blame. But we don't, we don't want to take the next steps of, great, society may not be our fault. But it is our responsibility, and no one's no one's looking at the responsibility piece. I love that line. It's one that I've shared. I don't know if you know Dr. Joe Vitale. Uh, he's down there, and he's in Austin. He's a law of attraction coach, and and he's shared that with you know from a from a self care mindfulness standpoint. Until you take the responsibility, you're always going to blame it on someone else instead yep. of saying, "Why am I attracting these people into my life? And why am I having this argument? Why you know conflict resolution?" And, and I, I always, it, you know, it's easier to put on your team Jersey and stop thinking than to, you know, it's, it's like, okay, let's say there's a, there's a school shooting somewhere. Obviously it's tragic, right? right? Now we're going to focus all on the school shooting. Now, every minute somewhere in the world, there's a tragedy, but we're going to focus on this. Why are we going to focus on this? Because there was a shooting at a white school. 60 people could be gunned down in Chicago, black kids, but we don't get yep. But We're going to focus on this, but put that aside for a second. Someone sits there and says, someone's got to do something. We have to pass a law. What, what's wrong with Congress? And I'm not saying don't pass a law. I'm not saying all that. I have positions, but this is separate from that. Or they say, what's wrong with parents today? These parents, blah, blah, blah. Yep. So they wake up, they say that they've done their, maybe they put a, a yard sign in for a candidate or something. They have now done their duty and made the world a better place. And then they come home that night. They have their own kids. They come home that night stressed, anxious. They snap at their kids. They don't ask their kids how their day went. And they think they're creating peace in the world. Whereas like most of these school shootings, a lot of them, you go to Columbine, you go to Sandy Hook. Some of these kids were building weapons and bombs inside their garage and the parents yeah. didn't even know it. Yep. And imagine if more people... And I'm not saying don't lobby, don't push for this, don't vote. I'm not saying any of that. But if if more people took responsibility, maybe, maybe, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, no, you, you you nailed it, Kurt. And, and, and when you said that, too, you you have so many people. You, you, you see this a lot on LinkedIn. And in. People will make comments. You know, one one that really rubbed me wrong the, the recently, they were talking about kids and the values and, and, and not even values, the teachings that, that should go on at school. And someone weighed in and said, well, those are things that should be taught at home. Okay. I said, well, here's my problem with that. As true as that may be, what about all the kids who don't have anyone to teach them those lessons at home? You know, and, and then I, I you know, of course, Kurt, you know, I had to light into him. I'm like, look, my dad was a pimp. My mother was a prostitute. Who was going to teach me that that lesson? And, and so it's easy. Again, we're going to shove off responsibility. But we as a society, you know, if we don't bring change, we're, we're just choosing to to continue to do the same thing. And, and, and the more, more importantly here, Kurt, is people also have to look at kids and, and realize 
no child asked to be born. None. We just showed up. And, and, and you either won the lottery of parents like, like my kids did, uh, like your kids did, or you, you know, you basically were dealt a bad poker hand like me. You know, I got a two, a, a four, a, a seven. I got a Jack just because my name's Javon. You know, I got a J in there. So, but, but here, here's the thing. You can't blame the kids. You can't call the kids monsters. You can't call the kids, you know, oh, that should have been taught at home. Kids did not ask to be born. So, you know, here, here again, we're passing off blame. Okay, great. Parents shouldn't have had the children. Mom shouldn't have had six kids, five different dads. Great. Okay. We got that established now. Guess what? These kids are still here. What are we going to do to take responsibility to bring change? And and I want to highlight the fact that you, you know, you're you you work with like the like Don Wetrick, you know, the Started Up Foundation to help create opportunities for kids who aren't whose parents can't send them to private school or we homeschool our kids. You know, people are like, what do you think about this and this? I'm like, yeah, I don't like it. But I, I don't ever want to have to go to a school board meeting to lobby. Right. right. <laughs> you know, and, and then they think, well, not everyone can homeschool. Well, the statistics actually show otherwise, but I'd love to give opportunity to more people. The biggest, uh, Carrie McDonald's written about this, you know, the biggest single increase in homeschooling over the last two years was in Hispanic families. Mm. And, you know, a lot of people would know that. They don't, the average homeschool parent has a GED or some, some amazing percentage. Well, how do they teach their kids are dumb? Well, show me the statistics. But if you create the opportunities for those people, and that's why when it comes to politics, sometimes, and, and like, it's, it's, I was thinking this as you were talking and maybe this is, <laughs> maybe this is totally crass, but we've, you know, we've lost the opportunity for nuance in our society. I think where, you know, it's, you're either here or you're over there. And I was going to say it's black and white. And I said, wait, you, you're, you're a perfect metaphor for this. You're mixed race. That's yeah. where nuance lives. That's where most things live, where you can say, yeah, Trump's an idiot, but he's an idiot. And I joke around. I said, I voted for the meteor. To hit, <laughs> to hit the, Man, but, it, Kurt, you, you nailed it on, on black and white. I tell people all the time, no, I, there is no gray area. I said, life is just like it is for me. It's black or white. <laughs> yeah, it, it's... Um, I would... I would just, if someone said, well, what, what, what's the number one thing you would like to see change with, within our society? I would like to see us all as a people take more responsibility and accountability versus blaming. We, 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 we got it all out there. Every, everybody's blamed. Let, let's, let's bring some actual change. Uh, let, let's actually do some follow through. Listen to one another. There are sides, you know, there's shit on the far right that they're actually correct. There's shit on the far left. They're actually correct, but we can't seem to say, hey, how do we do right as a people and by people where everyone's not going? I, I First lesson, uh, greatest lesson I learned as a kid, and Kurt, you and I talked about this last time. When I was in line uh, for our free handout, I, I was eight years old. I was with my mom, and we were in the welfare line. It's back in the 70s, and you had to stand in line three, four hours and wait for your free handout. And an older white lady was standing in front of us and she looked down at me, she looked up at my mom and she spit in my mom's face and she called her a nigger lover. And, and I remember one, no one came to my mom's aid. No, my, my mom just stood there and wiped the spit from her face, the tears from her eyes. And she couldn't leave the line because she had to feed her mixed race child. 
But the lesson that I took in that moment was, okay, no matter what you do in life, no matter how much money you make, no matter how many awards you win, no matter how big of a company you, you grow, no matter where you live, everyone's not going to like you. And Kurt, that was one of the, you, you talk about freedom. That was one of the greatest freeing moments uh, of realization that, that I ever had because then I, I didn't spend my, my entire life worried about who doesn't like me. And it, it became more of how can I succeed? How can I achieve my, my goals? How can I create my happiness? And, and that is where I feel we are lost as a society is we're so worried about who likes us, who doesn't, who picks our side, who, who votes the same way we do, that we, we're not even coming together as a, as a people to realize, okay, look, I'm not going to like everything you believe. You're not going to like everything I, I believe. You and I right now, Kurt, you know, there's there's certain things that, that, okay, you may have a belief. I may have a belief, but I'm Kurt calls me up. I'm still going to be there for Kurt. That's my man. And, and I don't understand why we can't come together like that as a people and realize, hey, we're not always going to agree on everything. Even within families, you know, it's like oh, they God. reject them because of how they voted or disinvite them to Thanksgiving dinner. And that's why I said, gosh, that's one thing. But within a workplace, some of these workplaces, I hear stories and it's like, oh, my gosh, we here's one. And, and I know we're running up on time here, but I, I had there was a workplace that I was in. They were a client and someone got reported, someone who was a known because it was in DC, you kind of knew where everyone was from their past experience. Now he was a Republican and came in one day and was reported and had to go through HR training and everything. And I'm not saying that's bad and whoever, but we, you know, you can get into how that HR training goes and all that <laughs> word training and everything. Right. But he walked in and he said, uh, how are my favorite ladies of color doing today? Right. Well, they didn't like that. So they reported him. Now, I'm not saying that's good or, or whatever. Fast forward a couple years later, we talked about Barack Obama. There was a guy who was a uh, known Democrat, but he would, he, you know, if you talk to him for an hour, he came across as like a Dixiecrat, <laughs> you know? And the same person who reported the other person said, who'd you vote for? And he it was known that he did not like black people. Like he was, he did not, like there were no bones about it. I right. mean, he, he, the black people knew he didn't like them and they, <laughs> it was weird. They got along. He said, not weird, you know, his response was, I voted for Obama. She said, why, why? He goes, I voted for the white half. Ouch. She laughs, <laughs> goes on her daily day, her business. Yeah. The team Jersey was right. He was wearing the right team Jersey. He could have said, it's like when Trump said I could kill someone on fifth Avenue, people would still vote. Yeah. We, we've put on those team jerseys. Totally. Totally. Oh man. Kurt, man, that, that was, uh, yeah, I, I, I get that, man. I, it, it's funny, Kurt. I can't tell you how many times I've had people say to me, well, you're not like a regular black person. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I'm like, well, Okay, so regular. Let, let's let's dive into that. And, and, but but and, and that's here's to, to go with your 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 story right there, Kurt. 
here's something to this day I still get asked that just irritates the hell out of me. Uh, when people look at me and they say, what are you? Mm. Now, I know what they're asking me. They're asking me, what's my nationality? But that's a different question. If you want to know my nationality, then you got to ask that. But to say, what are you? I'm human. And, and that, that right there is the start of the, uh, of the problem. You're, you're, you're trying to um, box me as a what instead of a who. And, and so it, it's, we, we've just got so much in our country that we should be able to talk about without being offended, without being angry. Because, you know, it, it, is this racist that if I grew up in an upper middle class white home and I lived in gated communities and I spent the majority of my, my life uh, around white people, am I automatically racist? No. But, but we've got people who will classify that individual as, as a racist, and that's just wrong. We've weaponized the word privilege in this country. Privilege. And think about, Kurt, here's the thing. We've weaponized the word. We criticize people with privilege, but yet and still, we're all after it. We mm. all want the nice home to do better for our families financial security, um, you know, better schools for our kids. Those things are a privilege to have. We're all after those things, but yet and still we demonize and, and we weaponize the word privilege for the people who were either born into it or who have achieved it. And, and I live by this. Privilege is only a negative if you do not use your privilege to elevate others. Hmm. I love it. I love that. It's, uh, I have a relative who will watch Shark Tank and she just knee jerk. Those fat cats, they have enough money <laughs> and they're just, they just have enough money and, and, and she'll throw out privilege or whatever. And I said, I just start going from the ones I said, Robert Hershevik, communist Croatia, fled. I said, Damon John. Yeah. Have you read it? Oh, oh, well, and, and it, but it, it, it's almost in the bones. It's her mom saying it it's her mom's mom saying yep. it and and you have this conditioning that is you're on this team or that team and you're either with me or against me yep and i've had people say well that you just sound like a privileged on linkedin and you know it's like well how does that make you better uh, by, by worrying about my privilege <laughs> so someone called me privileged on, on linkedin and and, and and clearly they didn't know my background and and so <laughs> Um, uh, again, it's like we just – LinkedIn is fascinating to me. LinkedIn, Twitter, all social media is you can make a 100% true factual comment. There's always one person who wants to just go against it and, and find the negative or, or try to, to pick a fight and go a different direction. And I, I laugh be, because people are just wanting to find a reason to disagree and engage in, in, in anger. Uh, my, my wife said this to me. What frustrates a lot of people uh, about me is – Many people can't figure out how it was done, meaning, okay, if you look at, at Robert Smith, one of, my, one of my favorite people in America, you know, wealthiest black man in America, he's here in Austin, created uh, Vista Equity, um, a private equity firm. But if you look at Robert Smith's background, he comes from a two-parent home. Both of his parents had PhDs. Hmm. Robert Smith lived in Denver. At the time of him growing up, 
Denver was not the hot spot for black people. <laughs> and, and so, you know, he lived in Denver, two parent home, both parents highly educated. Robert Smith went to Ivy League schools, Columbia and Harvard. Robert Smith worked at Goldman Sachs. If, you know, to take this back to the playbook, if you look at the playbook, the only part that Robert Smith didn't fit was he was black. Hmm. And, and, and I, I tell people, I, I make the joke, yeah, you guys lost me a two-parent home. And, and so when you look, and, and, and it frustrates people, I see this now, um, you have a lot of people that I'm in rooms with, CEOs, founders, business people who have achieved success, and because they followed the playbook, Many people look at me like, well, how the hell did you get here? You're like, you're not supposed to be here because, again, pimp father, prostitute mother, you know, in and out of juvenile, sexually molested, GED. Hold on, hold on. You know, and and they then want something. You know, they can't even say, damn, he's he's not even uh, all black or all white. So we got that. Okay, shit, he didn't even graduate from high school. You know, hell, he has no degree, and and they just keep, they can't find one thing to try to hold on to welcome me into the 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 playbook because I don't have any of it. And, and it's like my 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 wife has said, I'm gonna quote her. She said, "For some people, you're America's worst nightmare." <laughs> and I was like, "Thanks, honey." <laughs> yeah, fitting people, putting things in boxes that make sense. Yes, is easy for people, and it's a comfort zone, and it's a um, like you said, I mean, you just said, you said some things that kind of were critical of Trump. You said some things that kind of Biden, wait, whoa, whoa, what do you do with that? I, right. I, that doesn't compute in my brain. You gotta, you either gotta be over here, or over here, which is funny. I follow a lot of libertarians. I lean libertarian. Um, and it's like, people don't know what to do with them sometimes. No, <laughs> you know? no. And, and, and it's like I said, people, people don't know what to do with it because like you said, I don't fit in a box. We want everything to fit in a place, fit in its box. And in that, again, that is our problem with society is we are not taking the time to uh, listen, learn, and seek to understand. It, it's okay to not be from a low-income community and not understand all that goes on there. You know, that's, it, it's nobody's fault. You, you were born, you know, and my kids, my kids were born, have amazing lives. Like they don't know anything about what, where I come from and, and what that looks like. That doesn't make them bad people. That doesn't, you don't weaponize privilege against them because their dad broke his back. Do they, they have a different life. That is what we all aspire to do. Uh, but we, we just want to be angry. Yeah. Well, Javon, you certainly do not come across as an angry person. You, you, with with your background, you could you could easily have given in to the what I like to call the struggle porn and the the being ungrateful and jaded. And instead, you've you've used it to help other people tell their stories and share their wisdom. Um, and and which I believe is it might be your vision statement for the company, right? Your mission statement: share your wisdom uh, with the world or help it, yep. which I love. Um, the book is Modern Leader. The first book is I Got There. Get them both. Uh, the second one is a great follow-up to the first one, references the first one. Uh, David Goggins uh, wrote the foreword to the book. Scribe yeah. published David Goggins' book as well, which is the only book where I literally got physically ill reading it. Uh, <laughs> I, because he was going through it, I felt myself chilled because I was reading it. Um, Javon, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the Freedom Media Network today. Uh, my man, Kurt, like like I said, man, you 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 uh, 
you contact me, you email me, you send me smoke signals. I'm there, man. I appreciate that. And likewise, next time I'm in Austin, we'll have to hook up. Oh, for sure. And, uh, thanks so much. All the, all the information, the book, everything's going to be in the show notes. Go out now, get the book. I got mine on Apple Books. It's on Amazon. Go to Scribe. Go to JavonMcCormick.com, I believe is your website, yep, that's right? It. Go there, follow them, get the book. Javon, thanks so much. My man, thank you, Kurt. <laughs>